into your seat. And you are getting comfortable for a little bit. You know where we are going tonight. If you got a Bible, and I hope that you do, let's open it up. Get that notebook ready to roll because we are going to be in the book of Ruth. We got, we got business to attend to tonight. Has it been a great day today? Two books, that's only, that's only named after a woman. You got, you got 
she's a Gentile. The location of this is mainly Bethlehem. The author of this book, we said, is unknown. Ruth is not the writer of the book, although the book does. It's about her. She's not the author. A lot of scholars believe that, that, that the prophet Samuel is the writer of Ruth, although that is not identified anywhere in the book. We don't know. Location happens in Bethlehem, in the house of bread. But what's interesting in this time, in Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethlehem, which is a famous city. I mean, you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. King David, for that matter, was born in Bethlehem. The house of bread, there's a little thing going on in Bethlehem. A famine is happening at this time. There's a famine that happens in the land. You can just kind of read real quick in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, in the beginning chapter, the beginning verse of the book, it says, In the days when the judges ruled the land, there was a famine. Now, now we don't know this for sure, but we can kind of speculate because of what we're talking about after this. Uh, this is the time of the judges. But typically, a famine in the Old Testament was God's discipline on the people. They would stray after other gods, and God would send a famine not to get them or not to pay them back, but to bring them back into a relationship with Him. So in this time right here, we see in the house of bread, there is no bread. There is a famine going on. And the times that this takes place is the times of the judges. What we said about the judges in this time, in this 200-year time frame right here, that it was a very dark, dark time in Israel. Very, very wicked. In fact, you can sum up the time of the judges with the last verse in the very book named after Judges, Judges, where it says in Judges 21, uh, uh, 21, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So at this time, you see this downward spiral of Israel, both spiritually and politically. But what we understand and what we read and what we learn in the book of Ruth is that in the middle of this godlessness, in the middle of all the wickedness, in the middle of all the evil, in the middle of all the depravity, in the middle of everybody doing what is right in their own eyes, we learn this primary truth that no matter what's going on, our God is always at work. And He's working. And He's working. Listen to me, students. He's working first and foremost for His glory, that He is all about Him, but He's also working for your good, and He's working all things in your life for your good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, Romans chapter 8. So that God has not left you. He's not forsaken you. He is at Working. So that was kind of the backdrop right there of Ruth. And then we dove in to the chapter. In the chapter, we met the family. We met the family of four at the time. We got the dad named Elimelech, whose name means, My God is King. Elimelech is married to Naomi. Naomi meaning pleasant and delightful. These two get married. They have babies. They have two boys. They name him Malon and Kilion. Malon and Kilion don't have great things. One means sick and one means tired. Literally, their boys would call him sick and tired. That's pretty bad right there. And so sick and tired of being or sick and tired of being hungry. There's no food. And so what does a little like do? He takes their family from Bethlehem, the land of promise, the house of bread, and he leads them to Moab, this place of wickedness, this place of depravity, this place where you should not be. And while they are in Moab, tragedy happens. In the span of 
by the name of Orpah, another by the name of Ruth. They marry these Moabite ladies, which Naomi cannot feel good about because they're Jewish, they're Moabites. The Moabites are evil, wicked people. You should not do that, but they do it anyway. And after they get married, all of a sudden, Balaam and Kilion are dead, which shouldn't surprise us because their names are literally sick and tired. I mean, they're dead and weak, they're gone. So in the span of 10 years, one decade, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy happens to Naomi to where she is left with absolutely nothing. She's hopeless. She's, she's, she's distraught. She has nothing left. So Naomi hears, hears that God has visited, shown grace to Bethlehem, that the famine is over. And so now, now Naomi has in her mind, okay, I'm going to leave Moab because now I don't have a husband. I don't have any boys. I have nobody to take care of me. I'm left with two Moabite daughter-in-laws, I might as well, now that there's bread back in the house of bread, I might as well leave Moab and return to Bethlehem, which is exactly what she does. And at first, at first, Orpah and Ruth are going with her, and Naomi, through their journey, they're going back to Bethlehem, and, and Naomi turns, and she says, hey, hey girls, I, I appreciate you, but you really ought to just stay here, because I ain't got nothing for you. I mean, you're a Moabite, but you have come back to Bethlehem. This is not going to go well for you. You should just stay here, find you a Moabite man, and live happily ever after here in Moab. They're like, no, we're going to go with you. And she's like, no, you got to stay. So finally, Orpah, she does the ordinary. She's like, okay, Naomi, all right, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay in Moab. I'm going to find me a man in Moab. I'm going to live forever in Moab. But Ruth does the extraordinary. Ruth looks at Naomi, and in one of the clearest conversion statements in the Bible, she looks at Naomi, and she says, Naomi, I'm going with you. Why? Because your God is my God. Your people are my people, and nothing is going to separate me from you. Naomi looks at her and says, I ain't got nothing else for you. She said, let's go. And so Naomi and Ruth come back into Bethlehem. Now remember, she's not been there for how long? Ten years. She's been gone for ten years. She comes strolling on up into Bethlehem, and everybody is looking around. The whole town is stirred. They're looking at her they're like, is that Naomi? Girl, you look good. You done lost some weight. How you been doing? How was Moab? And she's like, uh-uh. No, you don't. You better not call me Naomi. Better not do it, because I'm not Naomi anymore. You better not. Don't get me started. I'm not sweet and I'm not pleasant anymore. You better call me. Why? You better call me. You better. You better call me. All right, because I'm better. Because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. In other words, what is she thinking? She's thinking that God has literally ruined my life, and I got nothing left.
whatever. Listen to me, serious. Whatever is going on in your life, good, bad, in between, your response to the Lord is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to pour out my heart to you. I'm going to tell you my emotions. God, I'm going to tell you what I'm feeling. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And I may not understand it, but at the end of the day, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I got you win into you and not away from you, God, because at the end of the day, I trust you and I trust that you are good. You've not left me. You've not forsaken me. And it's when I lean into you, when I trust in you, that's where I find comfort and grace and peace because that's not found anywhere else apart from the your response, students, is your responsibility. How are you going to respond when things don't go your way? Can you still praise the Lord, whether it's good or whether it's bad? So that's where we've left. That's where we've left Ruth and Naomi right here in chapter 1. Chapter 1 was all about. Then chapter 2, we turn the page and we pick it up. Where we left off, chapter 2, a man comes in to take center stage. And it's the man, the myth, the legend, Boaz. Y'all ready for some Boaz tonight? Boaz. Three people are ready for some Boaz tonight. Yeah, over here. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Are y'all there? Y'all ready to go? Alright, so let's find out what happens with ourselves to this Boaz as we walk slowly through this chapter tonight and let this unfold before us. Here we go, Ruth 2, verse 1. Now we only remember her, even though she said, you better call me Mara, you call me bigger, she's called Naomi from here on out, she's still called Naomi. She had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now a couple things you got to know. About Boaz that we see right here, right out the gate. Again, you're reading your Bible. I hope you got a pencil. I hope you got something to write with, something to write home. Two things that you got to understand. I was circling your Bibles. One, it says that he is from the clan of Elimelech. You see, the way it worked in ancient Israel is that you had an individual. That individual belonged to a family. That family, families made of clans, and clans made of tribes, which ended up making up the 12 tribes of Israel. And that clan levels, you got the individual, you got the family, families make up the clan, clans make up the tribe, tribe makes up the 12 tribes of Israel. And that clan level was the most important social group in Israel. If you were a part of someone's clan, you had the responsibility to care for and provide for each other in that clan. That's key. File that away. We're going to bring that up later on, okay? So he's of the clan of a little like you remember a little like that was Naomi's husband who died in Boaz. Second thing you see in verse one is this that Boaz not only was of the clan of a little like, but that he was also a worthy man. His name, Boaz, literally means strength. This boy is a stud. He's a worthy man. He's worthy of respect. He's worthy of trust. He's worthy of imitation. He is a dude's dude. In other words, he is the John Gibbons of his day. You know what I'm talking about. Homeboy does 
Scott Tree Pickup called me. He doesn't drive a Prius, and he's never heard of Taylor Swift, okay? He is a man's man, all right? Now, listen. Boaz does not hear the action just yet. The author wants you to know, hey, there's a guy out there. He's, in, he's from the clan of Elimelech. He's a pretty good guy. Just as why I fell that away. Verse 2. We got Boaz coming up on the scene. And Ruth. Verse 2. And Ruth. Uh, somebody help me out. And Ruth. Uh, just in case you forgot, she's a Moabite. She said to Naomi, Naomi girl, let me go to the field and glean. And I have to do some glean. Let me glean among the ears of grain. After him and his side, you shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, you got to understand this to appreciate this. Y'all like this Bible study? We're unpacking it right here. This is good stuff. You got to lean in. We're going somewhere tonight. You got to understand that they are literally flat broke. Naomi and Ruth. They are hungry. They have no food. They have no jobs. Their heads are falling off. And they have this conversation. Okay, what should we do? And Ruth is like, here's what we need to do. I need to go get some grain. Otherwise, we're going to starve. Let me go glean. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, what in the world does glean mean? Here's why glean means. Glean in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 19, if you want to check on that reference, there was a provision in the law for helping people who were poor. In this law, it stated this, it said, hey, if you got land and you're harvesting that land, don't harvest all of it. Don't, don't, don't get the corn. Leave the corners for the poor so they can come behind you and get the crop down in the corners. And as you're harvesting, you got your sickle and you go, and you're doing it. And you drop something, don't pick it up. Leave it there for someone to come along. Leave it there for the poor, the widow, for the foreign. Leave it for them to come so that they can have something to eat. But you think about this. You got Ruth and Naomi. Typically, in that culture, your husband would go provide for you. Or your son would go provide for you. But guess what? They ain't got no husband. They ain't got no sons. It's just them. And so Ruth is like, hey, if somebody don't do something, we're going to starve. So she's asking permission to go and glean. This was the equivalent of the Hebrew welfare system, a way to help the poor. It was hard work. It was embarrassing work because if you did that, they knew that you were poor. And it was not always said, especially if you were a foreigner. So again, take this picture right now. Here we go. Ruth, a foreign, Moabite woman, going to glean in an Israelite field. This is a big step of faith. Ruth is trusting God to provide. Verse 3, so what did she do? She set out. She went. She gleaned. She's dumpster diving in this field after the reapers. And she, what happened? Look at this. Now I love this. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who, just in case you forgot, was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, the Hebrew language right here is really special. This is good. This is good. And she just so happened, or she happened to come 
Thank you. 
a godly man will do. A godly man will provide, and a godly man will protect. Boaz is a godly man. And as a godly man, Boaz has this idea. It's crazy. It's wild. It's counterculture. He's like, listen, no, I'm going to treat women with respect. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to protect. And Boaz is going to be a man of integrity when it comes to treating other ladies. I'm about, I'm about to come off the stage. Oh, I was. And so listen, hey, 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 
have some scrubs back here because they love you bigger than me? I got some people who have my back. Because listen, 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 listen. We're not going to put up with that crap. No, no, there's no room for that. There's no room for that. So men, men, men in the room, grow up, provide, protect, or go to the kiss camp over there. Servants. Now, I'm not one of your servants. 
Blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. They only also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You see, Boaz is not just a close relative, he's going to play an important role in this story when it comes to redemption. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night, Lord willing. Verse 21. And Ruth thought, and Ruth thought, and Ruth thought, and Ruth thought, just in case you forgot. The Moabite, that outcast, that foreigner, that Moabite, said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, she's good. Y'all, this is good. This is really good. This is, this is, this is better than good. It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest
capture us under his wings. Even, even students, when the storm rages around us, even when the bottom drops out, we have a God who is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Are you convinced tonight that God will take care of you? Are you convinced that you have everything you need in our God? Psalm 46 puts it like this. It's beautiful. Psalm 46 says, we will not fear. We will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, what's going to happen? Because he is my refuge. Because, because I can depend on him. Because what I don't understand what's going around, I can depend on it. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because you got Jesus. I don't have to be afraid. Though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved. And the heart you see, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and a swelling. There is a river whose dreams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning comes. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Somebody say amen. You don't have to be afraid. You belong to him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. And you and you can know, God, no matter what happens, I don't have to go far. I don't have to be better. I don't have to, I don't have to mind and curse God. I don't have to, no, no, no. I know, I know, I know, I know that the Lord is with me. He's not moved. He's not going anywhere. So I see, I see, I see in this story, number one, that, that I'm, I'm the outcast, I'm the foreigner, but Jesus has come after me, praise God. He's not left me out there. He wants to bring me into his family. And, that, and now I know, I know, I know that he's my refuge, he's my strength, he's my shelter uh, uh, under his wings. Uh, and if I know he's there, I can lean on him. Security and stability and safety. He's everything that this world can I give. I know this in number three, number three, and I close with this. Lean in, students. I know that no matter what happens, I gotta stay in his field. I gotta stay in his field. I don't go anywhere else. I stay in the field. As Boaz looked at Ruth and said, Don't go gleaning anywhere else. Stay here. Students, with everything in media, I want you to get this tonight. With every fiber of my being, I've got to tell you with everything I got, stay in his field. Don't go looking elsewhere. Elsewhere for what only God can give you. You have no need to go. 